Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the show. This is Dr. Jim Hoven, and I am telling you, today is an episode that you will not want to miss. I have with me someone who I never thought I would have the opportunity to visit with. He is a person in his sport who is at the top of the game, not only in this era, but ever. And so if you've not been familiar with lacrosse, it is something that you should check out. I love the game. I was exposed to it as a, as a young parent when my son went into high school and I never looked back. I've been a huge follower of the game. So this gentleman who I'm about to introduce you to has had an epic career, one that probably overshadows the, the next 10 guys that would like to have. So and that's not just uh, playing games and, and talking smack. That's that's doing uh, doing some research and finding out some stuff. So without further ado, I want to welcome Mr. John Grant Jr. to the show. John, thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me, my friend. No, no problem. My pleasure. All right. So listen, I know there's I, I could talk to you for hours because if there's one thing that I've found in my life, I love to watch people in excellence, in a state of excellence, in flow, doing that kind of thing. And as I was going, building chiropractic practices and building businesses and doing that kind of thing, there was times that I felt like I did when I played football. When I, there were times when you were on the field and you were in flow, you just felt it, right? And building businesses, it was the same. And when I heard that I was going to have to get the chance to talk to you, I got to learn about flow because there's no one that I've ever met personally that has had the ability to be in flow as much or as long as you have from what I can tell. So First of all, do you, do you buy into the concept of flow or, or the zone, and how do you get there? Yeah, I mean, obviously, any athlete, whatever sport it is, um, you know, you, you work diligently all week long for that for us. You know, you play once a week to hopefully find that zone. Um, you know, when I was younger, I had a very difficult time staying in the zone. I was very self-critical, um, bad-tempered. Uh, kind of a prima donna, so to speak, but, um, you know, like the golfer that misses a putt and then, you know, hits four bogeys the next four holes. That's kind of how I was. So right. I had to work very hard at not um, just the physical part, but the mental game and, and to next play mentality, next play. And, you know, you control what you can control. And, but yeah, finding the zone is, I mean, there's not many things in this world that are as appealing. I mean, Every athlete strives for it. Every retired athlete longs for it. Um, and fortunately for me, I've come out of retirement, you know, to try to find it. And I'm in nowhere near finding the excellence I did before, but it's a different zone now. It's, you know, just that inside the huddle with your teammates, even though I'm kind of coaching them because I'm a player coach, but it's just, I can't explain the feeling and, you know, the amount of pain I go through just to, to live that two hours a week. Um, is worth it to me because you're right. It's, it's something, you know, mountain climbers have it, hikers climb it, people that cycle, whatever, whatever your passion is, you, you find that sweet spot and, oh, it's a, it's a good time when you're in there. Yeah, oh, John, I love that answer. I'm getting fired up to play, man, because here, here's what I know. After doing some research on you and, and spent time watching the game and that kind of thing, you've been at this your whole life. Literally, your father was an excellent lacrosse player. You picked it up. It was basically in the DNA. And now we fast forward. And, and what, are you 45 right now? Yeah, I turned 45 in November. So I'll be 46, you know, in a, in a few months. But Listen, I, I'm going to be 53 in September. And so you're carrying the flag for all of us, man. <laughs> oh, I keep hearing that. I mean, I kept becoming the oldest player to play. And that, <laughs> unfortunately, that just keeps escalating. Um, you know, I've broken records for roommate age gap. I think 
I had a guy when I was 42 still playing. I had a guy that was like 20 years old. So um, I, I got to ask you, how do you, how do you compete? What do you do for training as far as your body? And obviously you've already talked about your mind being important where you find, found it almost as what I hear you say is almost like a Zen quality where you don't have to be so uptight. Now you get in flow in a different way, even if it's not in the physical zone, you still have to do something to compete with these dudes in their twenties that are running like the wind and strong as bulls and all that kind of stuff. And when you get out there, I, by the way, I just got to say, I go to all the outlaws games. And when you do this thing where the, the stick comes over the back, I'm like, what? Like I have to watch it again and again. So how do you go about preparing your, your body for this kind of thing? Yeah, that's been a challenge my whole career. I mean, I, I haven't played a professional lacrosse game without being in pain. Uh, I ruptured a disc in my back in college and had surgery. And basically that was in 98. So basically from then on, basically my body is just slowly, you know, when one part goes, they all start going. Then I've had a couple ACLs. Uh, I've had like 10 knee surgeries on my left knee, two on my right knee. I've had a back surgery, broken sternum. Like I've, whatever there is to be injured. So I have to, and I, I tell, try to tell the young guys this, you got to listen to your body. There's days, yeah, I'd love to go and run the incline. I can't do that. I got I to gotta do the things that can give me the fitness I need, whether it's anaerobic or aerobic or weightlifting. But if there's a day where I'm just so banged up that I can't do it, then that's a yoga day. You know, and uh, obviously nutrition and diet plays a huge part in it. Can't, you know, eat or drink things that I did when I was younger. But it's purely just you got to listen. Your body's telling you something every day, whether you're an athlete or not. And you got to, you know, if you're a guy that sits at a desk all day and you're hunched over and then you have to go see you, the chiropractor, well, what is he going to say? Well, sit up straight, you know, start working on your core. So whatever I can do, I do. And I mean, I've, I've had a barrage of people that have helped me, chiropractors, doctors, PTs, because um, it, it's not easy. And, um, you know, I've been coaching now for the last four or five, six years. And that's kind of been my full-time job. But before that, my full-time job was just, preparing every week to play on the weekend. And that was, I mean, it took a team of people to keep this body just able to withstand because it's a, it's a brutal sport. So, but like I said, it's the challenge, meeting that challenge is something I strive to do and there's little ways to tweak here and there. And that's kind of the game within the game. And if it provides me an opportunity to put my Jersey on at the end of the week, then I'm all in. That's so cool. I'm telling you, I, I so resonate with what you're saying. I don't have to train or have the ability to train near like what you have to do, but I'm getting after it every day. And I know that there are certain things I have to try. This is what I try to tell athletes that I work with train around, not through. Right. And that's exactly what you're talking about. You got to know what your body is willing to do. And for those of you who are not from Colorado, listening to this, you know, around the country, around the world, it's when, when uh, John talks about running the incline, that's the thing outside of Colorado Springs where it's just nothing but stairs. <laughs> it seems like an eternity. It's like you're, you're just running to the top of a mountain on stairs and, and it is uh, it's insanity. So uh, for those of you, check it out, look it up in the incline in Colorado Springs and, and you'll see what he's talking about. But John, um, I want to go back a little bit in time, actually a long way in time to your dad. Was your dad an inspiration and that's what led you into the lacrosse game or was it something that just kind of the family business how how did that uh tie it's in? more of a competition <laughs> oh competition um, yeah that's kind of how like i wanted started out when i was really really young <clears throat> you know i wanted to be just like him i mean he had championship rings he wore and he had you know championship jerseys 
around and he was always, he always had his buddies over. Um, he was one of the younger guys that had a, a, you know, a couple of kids at a young age. So what do you want to do when you spend time with your, your friends when you're in your twenties and you got three young kids, we'll have them at your house. So I, I grew up with these guys and talking war stories about man cups and world championships. And so it started as an aspirational thing. And then it, you know, as I got into my teen years, it became a competition. I wanted to be as good and then I wanted to be better. And it became kind of almost an obsession to be quite, quite honest. Cause I just was one of those guys, um, you know, for football fans like Dan Marino never won Peyton Manning, you know, took him a long time to win. I just wasn't able to win championships and all the personal accolades I was compiling just weren't doing it. I, I just was, I mean, I was obsessed with winning lacrosse. Um, you know, everything else in my life was second place. And unfortunately, a lot of relationships were included. Um, but once, you know, I got into my 30s, I learned how to win and I be became a part of some really good teams that knew how to win. And then the winning started happening. And, and unfortunately, once you start winning, <laughs> you now you just want to keep winning. So, um, yeah, my the relationship there with like I grew up in a really lacrosse centric area of uh uh, it's called Peterborough, Ontario. And, the, you know, it's probably the top lacrosse place in Canada. Very small town, 75,000 people, but the city lives and breathes the lacrosse. And uh, so, like, yeah, I had a stick in my hand and diapers, and I played at three, four years old. And, you know, I've been playing ever since. And, you know, I just absolutely adore playing. I love every part of the game. But, you know, that, you know, whole chasing, chasing legacy thing is something that's driven me and I was like, obviously, a young, small kid playing against grown men in the backyard. Canada, that's the thing. You play with tennis balls and you go at it, like, warrior style. And I was doing that against grown adults and, you know, getting pushed down and beat up. And, and it just, you know, I never quit. I'm just like, I was always trying to be better than whoever was standing in front of me. And that's kind of how I've lived my life. I, On a lacrosse field, that is. I wasn't I like that. Love <laughs> hey, I read something. Tell me if this is true. You were originally wanting number 12, and that was your dad's number, and then that was taken, and so you're like, well, if I can't be 12, I'm going to pick 24 because I'm going to be twice as good as him. Is that true? Well, you did do your research. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah junior A lacrosse, you, you come in as a 15, 16-year-old. You play junior in Canada. You play it's box. You play from like 15, 16 till 21, and then you graduate to senior lacrosse. So there was a guy that was a couple years older than me and I wanted 12. He had it. And so 24 was available. I'm like twice as good as 12. I'll do it. So <laughs> now fast forward, whatever, 400 years, my daughter wants to wear 48. Um, <laughs> so she's going to double up. <laughs> yeah. Well, at first she was 40. She wanted to be 42. And then when she actually learned how to do some math, <laughs> she understands that 24 times two is 48. So, yeah, so it's kind of funny how that's kind of flipped on its on its yeah. uh, side there. So is she talented? Is she? I did read that she uh, didn't like lacrosse, and then as she got a little bit older, then she started picking it up again. And once she could catch the ball, then it was like, oh, life is good. Yeah, that's that's the light turning moment for anyone. Even like a baseball player hitting a baseball, like or doing anything where you can catch. Like if you can't catch, it's just a maddening thing. Um, and she played when she was young. And, you know, in little camps and clinics. And she didn't like getting hit, unlike her dad, who loves to get beat up. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, last year when I came back 
to play at a retirement. That was part of the reason was to kind of, as a family, regrow a love for the game and get her kind of into it and show that anything's possible. And, you know, I could give you every adage I want, but she got back into it and she, she's very, very talented. Um, I mean, DNA is a thing, but I mean, I'm trying not to push. Mm-hmm. Um, I know it's a fine line between pushing her to be better and pushing her completely away. Um, so we're in that right now, but the good thing, you know, quarantine's kind of lifting here in certain stages and she was able to have her first lacrosse practice last night. So, Oh, wow. Yeah. So she came home fired up and, um, I mean, she's got a future in it. She's just, she's going to have to, I mean, she doesn't have to be as psychotic about it as I was when I was a kid. Cause that's all I did. Yes. Um, but I think if she puts some effort and time in, she's got a very bright future in lacrosse. Well, I'll tell you, that is amazing. If it, uh, listen, if she doubles up on what you've done, there's going to be a problem because it, I almost ran out of my phone battery scrolling down all the accolades and all the awards and all of that stuff. From the time it looked like, from what I could tell, the time you were young, you were winning, as you talked about, individual accolades. And then it just went on and on. National Player of the Year, MVP, you had all of that stuff. And, and earlier you mentioned this concept of, that wasn't enough once you understood the winning thing. What was that gap or your light bulb turning on moment? What was it like to become versus a great player or to become a winner versus just a great player? How, how did you mature into that or was it a maturity process? It was maturity, but the maturity in recognizing trust, trusting your teammates, trusting the process, trusting your coaches. When you obsess about something for so long, um, and thinking my way is the only way. And it was, I never played like in a selfish, I'm, you know, you know, I want to build this and do it all on my own. I just, I became so focused on that. I know I can do things that other people couldn't do. It's a team game and there's, you know, you know, I'm not um, comparing myself to anyone, but even listening to, you know, watching that last dance show when, Jordan finally realized I got to have four other guys. Like I can't win. I'm doing great, but I need to learn how to win. And I need other people to show me how to win. Winning is something you're not born with winning. You learn to do it and you learn it from people who've won. And I started just like, I put myself completely on the back burner and put my team first. And I learned as much as I could about the art and the skill of winning. It's a skill. It's not, you know, it's not a luck thing. I mean, there's, And it's all about building chemistry and building great teams. And, you know, and I'm standing around in my kind of wall of shame down here and all my teams and the jerseys that are up. It's, I remember those locker rooms being so extremely tight that it was just brothers going out to battle. And, you know, I, I kind of forgot that I think along my journey. And once I figured that out and obviously being on good teams, (laughs) you know, the sky was the limit. Wow. Well, you know, I was just thinking about the last dance as you were bringing it up because I remember watching Michael Jordan when he would come, you know, you and I are of the age group where we got to see him play. Right. And so when he would come to Denver, we would always get tickets and we would go. And I had never seen an athlete, John, who could literally turn it on and off at will. So he would literally be passing the ball and then the nuggets would get ahead by 17. And he's like, all right, I ain't passing anymore. And he would score 12 straight. And I, I wonder when you get to someone, literally you say not comparing yourself with anyone, but you are in that category in your sport. Was that something that you looked at? Like when you say you had to put yourself on the back burner, was it about shooting less? Was it about passing more? Was it about being a decoy? What were those things that you 
that you consciously had to do that weren't just your natural flow of play? Yeah, it's, it's all that. I mean, shooting less, passing more, but it, you don't just do that for doing it. Like you said, Jordan would, you know, we're down 12. He'll go get 12. I mean, he could do that. And I mean, not to sound arrogant, there was times I thought I could do that, but you know, there's another team always there. And just cause I think I can do it. Sometimes I could and sometimes I couldn't. And if, you know, teams are spending all their time focusing on me. That means there's going to be other guys that are open and available. And once I, like I said, once I started trusting my teammates and knowing that, Hey, maybe there's other ways that I can help this team, you know, whether by being just positive on the bench or setting picks instead of being the shooter, you know, being a decoy, like you said, all those things are just as important as goals and assists. You just have to rewire your brain to, to accept that. But like him, I, I mean, I would make up enemies. I would make up fake wars. And I mean, you just, I'm a challenge based individual and in whatever it is. I wish, you know, somehow my teachers would back when I was struggling in school, like, you know, challenge, like it's like, I just need something. I need a challenge and I want to like overcome a challenge. And then as soon as that one's done, I'd look, I just like scour around trying to find something else that I can defeat. And, you know, whether it's positive or negative, there's kind of a little both. I'm just wired that way. Like whatever I can go attack and defeat, I want to do that. Right now that's coaching, but you know, for brief, for a brief moment last summer, I was back doing it as a player and this summer again, whatever the season looks like, um, I'll get to do that again as well. And then I I'm pretty sure then it'll go away and I'll just focus all of my wins and wins on, you know, just being the best dad I can be, the best husband I can be and the best coach I can be. Cause those yeah. are challenges that for me, will probably be ch more challenging than the playing. That's incredible. So you're saying you're, you're saying it right now that you're going to, you're going to go back at it again, huh? You're going to go do some more this season. Just, yeah, whatever the season looks like. I know it's not really released what the schedule is like. Yes. Um, I know. Um, I don't know what it'll be like. And like I said, talk about, you know, just doing everything you can to be a teammate. Like that's, that's where I was last year. I knew I wasn't going to be, you know, 10, 20% of what I was in my career. And I don't care about that. I don't care about a legacy. I know a lot of older athletes to come back and play and they're like, Oh, he's going to ruin his reputation. I don't care. They don't, people don't understand how much joy I get out of playing, how much joy my daughter gets out of watching me play. And whatever brief moment that is, I mean, those memories will last a lifetime. And I can show a lot to these young guys by persevering through like, just like, just terrible, terrible situations with my physical being right now. But I want to show them you can do anything you put your mind to, maybe not to the degree you could before, but, um, you know, mental fortitude is something I've been a strong believer in, and I'm going to show it again. I love that. And so let's talk about this dual role. It's a, it's a throwback thing that you're talking about, John, the player coach. You very, very, at least, I mean, I follow sports pretty closely, and I don't know of a lot of other player coaches in any other sport doing what you're doing. Tell me about the difference between playing and coaching is I've coached a little bit on a very small level with my kids as they were coming up and they're all older now, but I found it more nerve wracking than when I played. I found it more um, intense than when I played. Do you find that, but you know, but you're competing at a whole different level at, at everything. So what's the interesting comparison you're seeing there? Well, if it was anything else in any other sport, I, I wouldn't even venture to do it, but, um, I, as a coach, I'm very hands-on and very demonstrative in practices. And I, you know, 
you know, I use my experiences as one, as an ally in my coaching, like, Hey, I've seen this or I've done this or I've watched, like, it's always taken, you know, I, I think especially in this day and age, these pe- kids and young, young athletes, they, they seem to really, you know, get a kick out of that part. So it's not like, Oh, listen to this guy talking about the glory days. I'm like doing it as I'm telling you how to do it. Um, and for me, the coaching on the field, I, I found very, very, very interesting. And at times it was a struggle because I was so focused on trying to be better as a player that I wasn't coaching very effectively. And then there was other times where I was overcoaching and not playing, but that that's the challenge. And that's that new, like it was just the craziest, coolest experience in my life to be able to focus on dual roles as I'm playing the fastest game in the world. Um, at an advanced age. And I mean, it's not even my age is the problem. It's like what I am physically, my left knee needs to be replaced. It needed to be replaced like 10 years ago. So I'm hobbling around on one leg. I won't watch any of the games from last year because I just can't watch myself run like that. Um, I'll see some highlights from now and then, but yeah, the, to be able to coach them while I'm kind of doing it, it's actually like a dream. <laughs> it's a dream job to be honest. And you know, we almost won the whole thing last year doing it. So yes. I mean, the recipe obviously worked because we had a really young team. And what a better way for an old has-been to be on the field directing kind of traffic with guys that are just learning this new new style. I mean, and quite be honest, I'm the offensive coordinator and I can't put this old guy in the right positions on the field. And <laughs> then I should be fires to coach. So Selfishly, I was able to put myself in some situations in the flow of the offense to help, but I was as just a third, fourth, fifth, even sixth option on the offense. And right, I used to be. Have you? I wasn't first. Yeah. As long as I get to be in the top six, I'm ready to go. That's beautiful. Have you noticed because you've had so much experience, John, that you're teaching folks that the players that you're coaching about spatial awareness and about the the movement of the ball you know i was a when i was in chiropractic school i used to be the trainer for a girls junior olympic development soccer team and i remember that coach coach jerry would always say the ball will travel faster than you can run so you need to go to where you need to put the ball where the player is going to be and you also need to go where the space is and let the ball find you is it are you able to really get that message across from a whole different way with you being you know, you're not as fast as you were, like you say. So is it a way that you can coach these guys to use space better? Yeah, it's to use the space right here. <laughs> I love it. That's the hardest thing to coach. That six inches between your ears is, you know, the IQ. And I know a lot of coaches like, oh, I, my kid, my team has no IQ. I, you can coach it. Why can't you? I mean, I feel like I've got lacrosse IQ. And, yeah, maybe some, some of it's from experience. But, I mean, I wasn't always 45. Um, yep. You can teach it. And you can teach reactions and you can teach, and that's all where chemistry comes in. So I know what this player A is going to do. So I'm going to put myself in this situation because if he gets the ball, he's going to do this. And same with player B and player C. And in lacrosse, the truly gifted, like the top players of all time have that innate ability to know where the ball's going to be or where a defender's going to be. And I mean, I'm a Canadian, so obviously we always bring lacrosse or hockey into the mix, but Wayne Gretzky could, couldn't bench his own weight. He's the best hockey player that ever lived, and he was just a—he just was stronger here than anyone else. Wow, and that's where I feel like I—I'm completely at a disadvantage physically, 
and with endurance and everything else, but I feel like I got, I got it here still and I can still shoot the lacrosse ball and yes. that, you know, still pass the ball. And so I just got to put myself in the right places to be able to make plays and honestly just stay out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> but knowing when to do both, like sometimes there, our offense can flow very effectively six guys and I might not touch the ball, but just cause I know how to take my defensive player and get him, out of the way and it's it's a game of chess you know some guys like out there play checkers and I feel like I'm playing chess and that's something I would say I have still an advantage in that that regard but I mean we've got some smart ball players and so will other teams that's great now I got to distinguish this so you, you talked about the coaching side and the the um, ability to coach these guys up to do things do you see a difference between leadership slash influence and coaching? Because there can be leaders. You're you're out. You're unique because you're a coach player. But when if we go back to the Michael Jordan thing, he was a leader that had all the influence, sometimes more than the coach. And not that that's a good or bad thing, but I know in the business side, a lot of times I'll see that the person who has quote unquote the title isn't necessarily the leader. It's the person that wields the influence on the people around them that are the leader. And so how do you relate the field leadership and generalship with the coaching? Yeah, well, I've always, um, you know, my philosophy is to be a servant leader. You know, mm -hmm. I'm only there for you. So whether it's I'm coaching these guys or if I'm a player, and that's where that we talked about before where I started winning, I started to realize I'm, I'm there for my teammates and my teammates are first. And what can I do for you? What can I do for you? And if you got, 25 guys on the roster all ask, you know out there trying to do everything for their brothers beside them so my coaching and playing philosophy is kind of the same like what can I do for you what can I do to help this team whether it's individual or small groups or the whole group um, and you know I've never been like a dictator where like do this or else or hey I know more than you type of thing it's it's always kind of like I'm in the the foxhole with you and how are we going to figure this out and I, I was, that's how my coaching, because I was playing and coaching and not while I was in a dual role. I was coaching high school and coaching some other things while I was still at the highest level. And I'm like, why would I coach a different way than I want to be coached? I just, I, that, that hypocrisy would be too much for me to handle. I wouldn't be able to sleep at night. I want this, but I'm going to treat you that way. So that's where that kind of started. And now I've just kind of put it all together and, one small window where I get to do both and, you know, very, very feedback driven. Like, Hey, what do you guys think? What do you think? What do you, you know, I don't necessarily have to always agree or do what the feedback is given, but you know, I don't see everything. I'm not perfect. I, Hey, I think you're right. Maybe we should do it that way. And I, love I, that. I think there's a, in whatever relationship you have, whether it's work or athletics, I think that's a good way to go about things. I, mean, I love that. Man, John, I, I got to now do a little follow-up to that because um, for those of you, again, listening that don't know who the Outlaws are, it's Denver's uh, Major League Lacrosse team. It's their outdoor team. Did you play with the Mammoth as well, the indoor team? I did. I thought so. How, how did you like the difference? Oh, there we are. Yes, sir. Yes. Yeah, I, uh, I got traded here in 2011 to play with the Mammoth. Um, Different game, right? What's that? Totally different game. The, the energy, the vibe, the speed, it's just so different. It's its borderline barbaric is what it is. <laughs> it is. There's nowhere to go, and it's so fast. Like 30-second shot clocks of guys just, you know, 
all guys like two, 200 pounds at 240 fast and just aggressive. And it's like, there's games. I'd, I'd say I'd like to remember some of them, but it's just, they go by and it's just like this, especially at the Pepsi center. There's 17,000. Yes. It's insane. Yeah. The music's blaring. I mean, that's, that was always my passion. Feel across was kind of always a hobby for me. Um, okay. But yeah, I, I begged to get traded here. Um, I was played in 10 years in Rochester and me, my wife, and at the time, my newborn, we just needed a change. We needed something I felt like I needed. So we got out here and, you know, I got six or seven, eight years maybe to play with the mammoth. And it was, uh, it was the greatest. Yeah. So, I'd tell you, I'd go to the games and dude, that place is raucous. I mean, it is crazy bedlam. I would really, really, really enjoy it. And, you know, I, I would love to know, hear you speak on, and I don't know if you've ever transitioned a lot of these principles that you've been sharing with us here into the business world with talking to different companies and stuff, but I'm a really big believer in the performance of the company is driven by the culture. You had mentioned different winning teams, different organizations. Now we've talked about Mammoth, you've talked about Rochester, you've talked about the Outlaws. What do you see makes a winning culture in, in uh, not only necessarily the sports world, but in the business world as well? Anything that you see that's commonalities there? Yeah, I think, I mean, there's very few things in this world you can do as a job and it's just you. I mean, you're a part of a team. You know, doctor's part of a team, chiropractor's part. Of, everyone's got someone they're working with and they're interacting with. And I think the same rules apply. If, if the whole team is moving in one direction, generally they're going to be, well, hopefully they're moving in a positive direction. But, yes. yeah, the commonalities are there. And that's kind of how I've lived my life, always sports analogies. Um, you know, I'm a big John Gordon fan. I read all his all this stuff and a lot of his books aren't just athletes. And he was a lacrosse player at Cornell. Mm. And I think that's where he gained the basis for a lot of his, I mean, that's an incredible culture that lacrosse program is. I mean, it just is. I mean, and you know, he's used a lot of that to coach and train up businesses too, because it is a team. Of course there's captains and coaches and, you know, role players and rookies, but everyone has to be paddling in the same direction. You know, I used to say, my wife and I, we went uh, sea kayaking out in the Pacific in Vancouver one time. And I was just like, you know, like I was in the front and it was a, I'm like, why is this getting so difficult? And I started like second guessing my abilities. And like, I just started paddling harder. It wasn't until I turned around and realized that my wife was just taking a break and had her <laughs> paddles in the water. So I'm basically trying to paddle against her resistance which is a good analogy. Like if anyone is just taking a break, I mean, it, everyone else in the boat's got to work harder. Yeah. So it's a good analogy I've, I've used in some of these, you know, talks I've had before. It's just if one guy takes a day off, everyone else in that group or on that team or in that business is going to have to pick up the slack. Mm -hmm. Think about businesses with thousands of uh, employees. You get a hundred people taking a day off. Like that's a lot of strain on the 900. So absolutely. Wow. No, it's beautiful insight. I love that. And with culture and people taking time off comes adversity. I know that you had the, the injury that led to the infection and you know, it, from what I read, it almost led to like a, a near death kind of thing. Like you were on, on a tough spot. And so between that and the concussion that you suffered, um, it, it makes me wonder what was your mindset about overcoming adversity? How do you deal with adversity uh, that you might be able to share with the listeners? I just, you know, don't give up. I mean, obviously, 
I was told after the near death and they were going to chop my leg off to save my life. And my wife signed, wouldn't sign off on it. So they, they kept battling and it ended up, you know, saving the leg and whatever's left of it. But it's just, you can do a lot of things and it's getting through self doubts, the big one. And if you don't think you can do it um, and you just give up, then that's, that's, that's going to happen. But people, I, and I know any day, every day, you can surprise yourself. And sometimes you got to look inward first. Be like, I did that and I didn't think I could do it. You know, it starts every morning, get up, make your bed and just, I can do this today. And mm-hmm. you you can, surprising yourself is, I think, is more important sometimes than surprising other people. Because um, at the end of the day, you got to look in the mirror and be like, you know what, I crushed it today. Yeah. And I, I looked at it that way. People told me I wouldn't be able to play again. And I, you know, middle gave him the middle finger figuratively and just said, no, I, I'll decide when I'm done and no one That's else will. Amazing. I mean, ultimately with the concussion, there was a lot more at stake and a life of, you know, a life after sports and raising a daughter. And so I had to take that time. I mean, doctor told me no anyways, they pulled the plug on the career. I had no choice, but you know, it took several years of soul searching and, and getting myself back to, to a really good place in the family and then personally where I was able to be like, you know what, I think it, I can do this now safely without, I mean, it's a contact sport. I mean, anybody can get hurt at any time. Knowing those risks, I knew that I was not putting any undue or unnecessary risk to jeopardize a, you know, my long, longevity in, in working or being a human being. But I just, I think going back to my challenge things, there's a lot of things people don't think they can do until they try to do it. They just, they won't know. So you just, sometimes you got to push past your personal limits. And if you defeat that, then any limits anybody on the outside puts in is literally easier to tackle in my opinion. And I'm just one person. Right. So do you think, I guess, two part question. Did you ever experience the self doubt after those, especially the concussion, right? Where you didn't have a choice. They pulled the plug. Like you say, you have to go back and prove that you're, you're able and willing. But then after almost dying, did you experience self-doubt and was the way through self-doubt trying things, making the bed, doing the little things, taking it one step further past where your mind was, or did you read something or did you ask for help? How did you, how did you mechanically get through the self-doubt if, if you experienced it at all? I had, I've always had self-doubt. I mean, I've always been, you know, in, in, Outward appearances, I probably seem like I'm a very, you know, self-esteem heavy guy, but I've always been my own worst critic. I've gone into games, even games when I was at my peak, not knowing if I was going to play well. I went into every season thinking I was going to get cut because I haven't my whole growing up, even though I was a fairly decent player. I mean, I got cut from some teams when I was young and, you know, in other sports and, you know, I got cut from a really, really important team in lacrosse and, you know, those, those were all just because I didn't do the work. Um, um, but yeah, I mean, if you, if you go into everything super overconfident, I think that's just as dangerous as going in underconfident. But yeah, I was never going into things going like, I'm the greatest. This is going to be a joke. Like, I don't know if I was able to continue to play and my longevity was just because I battled thinking it was going to be possibly my last opportunity to do it. Um, that's kind of how I lived. And I got a second lease on life after that near death where I got a second whole career basically out of, 
after being told I wasn't going to play again. And that was a kind of, I'll show you type of thing. And that's just kind of how it is. And whether I make it up or it's real, I just, I make up, you know, doubters and there has been, and I just, and the one in the mirror is usually the one, like if there was a week where I didn't put the work in, I'm going to be like, you better work harder than you've ever worked before. Cause you didn't do the work this week. So a lot of, a lot of self-talk. Um, wow. Good and bad. Sometimes yes. you gotta have you got to have those conversations. And I mean, right now with quarantine, there's been more self-talk than ever before, but just there's been the time. So, yeah. How are you guys as a, as a team navigating this? That's an interesting question with quarantine and you know, I had a chance to visit with Matt, obviously, you know, kind of team prez guy. And uh, it's just such a fascinating thing for me because in lacrosse, it's different than let's say in the NFL where the team does everything together. You guys are really responsible. It's a lot of, there's a lot of autonomy followed by you guys coming together to play with limited time in between. But now it's even, it's even more um, exposed, if you will. How do you guys stay connected as a team, that chemistry that you talked about earlier in these types of situations? Yeah, like any, anyone else, I think there's been Zoom calls and that. But yeah, I mean, in pro lacrosse, there's a lot of trust in your teammates because you play on the weekends and through the week, guys can be doing whatever they're, want to do I mean you got to trust that the guys are putting the work when I'm putting my work in I got to trust the other 23 guys or 24 guys are working too um, and you get exposed if you don't and for a lot of guys if you don't do the work during the week you don't make it or you get you know you have very short careers like in any sport you know the guys that put the work in usually have longevity like for whatever people say about Tom Brady and I know Denver Fans don't really like him, but, <laughs> but we the guy honestly, the guy's doing more work and doing more things to still be competing at that level. At this, trust me, I know how hard it is at this age. I mean, other guys don't make it that long because either they don't want to or they don't have the ability to keep working. But our guys, we have a really solid group of kids that like love each other. Like we, I think we're missing the the camaraderie and the chemistry more than maybe even the playing for some of the guys. Um, so we're staying in touch and we all trust in each other that they're getting it done. And now it'll be up to the coaches. This would be more, this would be a huge coaching, um, season because yeah, you have kids that have never played together. They're going to get together very, for a very short period of time and then go, go play the best. Yes. So strategy is going to be ultra important, but, um, yeah, the guys got to do the work, but we all trust that, that everyone on this group is. That's beautiful. So I know that, you know, as, as you guys go through that process and, and you've talked about, you were kind enough to share that you're going to give it one more round of actually doing both player coach. We talked a little bit on air or offline on air before this started and about your future and some of the cool things you're doing. Um, can you share with, with the listening audience, the, the program that you're going to be, uh, be part of? Cause it's super exciting. Yeah. I, uh, I left the air force Academy lacrosse program and I joined Johns Hopkins, um, in Baltimore. Um, they're the most prestigious lacrosse NCAA lacrosse program of all time. They've won 44 championships and the program has been in existence since the 1800s. Um, I mean, they, they are just the, the program they're, you know, Alabama for football. I mean, you know, Duke for lacrosse, like they're, it's that program. And the, the coaching staff that was there was there for 20 years and they've won championships, but, it was just time for them to part ways. And I'm beyond blessed to be able an opportunity to, to coach at this level, like at this 
top program in, you know, my third year of, of a college coach. So, um, I'm obsessed with the job. I'm, I'm getting to know the kids and we're doing calls and recruiting zooms and all that stuff. So I'm doing, we're doing the, basically this coaching staffs in four different States at this point, three of us haven't even been on campus. I mean, wow. I haven't been to Johns Hopkins university since I think the 1998 world games, <laughs> which didn't go well for me. It's team Canada, but um, I mean, Baltimore is lacrosse and I'm obsessed with lacrosse and the tradition there is, it's like Texas football. I mean, they get 10,000 fans to a high school game. Wow. And growing up in Peterborough with that sort of tradition, like winning the most championships in Canadian history, either one or two, um, I kind of miss that that prestige and that tradition and being a part of it. There's a huge challenge in it, but I just – that's the next, the next challenge. Like, I just – I want to help this team win championships, and I want to just be a part of – of the fabric of this organization and learn from the alumni. It's an alumni group that is just powerful and very hands-on. And I just, I got so much to learn and the two coaches I'm three coaches I'm coaching with are all excellent top of their game. So I'm, I'm ecstatic to get there. The, the, the challenge was, you know, getting my wife and 10 year old to sign off on moving out of Colorado, but they're going to, I'm, I'm leaving August or September. They're, they're not going to go till after Gabby finishes fifth grade in May. So that's how important this job was. And as a family, we knew that even we, we would be strong enough to, to live a kind of a part for nine months. So when I get there, it's just, you know, all, all hands on deck. I'm just going to immerse myself in the culture and the program and, and get in there and hopefully get some W's. Don, I have no doubt you're going to do that. Your passion, it's just exuded your commitment to excellence, your willingness to do what it takes. It's, it's shown itself in spades on in our time together. And man, listen, how can people follow you? How can they um, keep track of what you're doing and, and just stay in touch and connected? Yeah, I mean, I got the, you know, I reluctantly uh, joined the Twitter, Twitterverse and, and <laughs> Instagram and all those. Um, <laughs> I, literally in 2014, I think, they made me get a Twitter, Mammoth made me get a Twitter account because they scored this crazy goal that had like half a million views on YouTube. And they're like, Whoa. oh, you've got to take advantage of this. And I've been very private about everything my whole yeah. life. Like very antisocial, maybe, um, maybe not clinical, but <laughs> self-diagnosed. Um, but yeah, I mean, most of the stuff on Twitter and Instagram now involves like backyard lacrosse, myself and my daughter and, and lacrosse stuff. Um, you know, I try to stay out of all the other stuff, but uh, yeah, I, you know, I'm out there on that and, you know, Hopkins would be awesome because it, all our games are on TV, national TV. And, you know, I know our MLL games this summer will be on ESPN. So people can check out. They'll know who it is. It'll be a guy waddling, limping on one leg with a big knee brace and then doing a bunch of fancy stuff. So, 24, baby. 24. 24. There you go. Nice. Well, listen, you have made my entire day. Thank you so much for sharing your excellence with me personally. Like, I learned so much from this and I'm sure the audience did too. And just know you always have a friend here. And, uh, man, I wish you only the best as you keep going and inspiring the young guys. And, uh, by the way, go Outlaws. All right. I appreciate your time. Thanks. All right, brother. Thank you. Take care.